it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now in Romans chapter 12, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed. We've been speaking a bit about transformation over these last weeks. Jill's been bringing messages about it. I've said some stuff as well. But transformation is change and development and to be transformed is God's heart for your life. He loves you as you are, but he wants you to be what you're not yet. That's called progress. That's called growth. I love my granddaughter as she is, but wouldn't it be tragic that she stayed the same when she's 20? I've got a name for her, I call her Squiblet. And when she's 20, she's still going to be Squiblet. Get used to it. But she will have grown, she will have developed, she will have transformed from the little baby she is to the young lady she's going to be. And transformation in our lives is God's heart for us so that we're renewed by our minds and the change of life and direction that comes as a result of that change of mind. Be renewed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what I want to work talk about this morning really is about transformation but how worship is a means to transforming our lives worship the various words in the bible um, that we translate from the greek and even the hebrew into worship and um, worship towards god has many definitions but there's no kind of slam dunk uh, definition uh, it's, it's got various meanings but it means something greater than we realize I believe because it's all encompassing and it can transform us in that verse this is uh, your proper worship in some versions it says this is your reasonable service so service and worship here are kind of bound up together in the word that's translated here worshiped worship we often refer to our praise as times of worship we've had a worship time this morning haven't we with a great music uh, band that we've got the great worship team we call it the worship team but I want you to know that's not really the whole picture about worship that worship we did this morning is an expression of what our lives should be in worshiping him just a facet of worship Worship is much more. It's something we are called to live in and be and do as a lifestyle and walk in the closeness of his presence. You know, some definitions of worship from the Bible. One word that's used is proskuneo, which is a Greek word, which means to go towards and kiss. And that's a, that's a picture of worship. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it ironic? Isn't it amazing that Judas betrayed Jesus 
by going towards him and kissing him. You know, false worship is a betrayal of who he is. Other definitions uh, mean show reverence, respect, to feel in awe of, to have devotion towards and to serve, to have awe. He is an awesome God. It says there that, uh, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, because this is your proper worship. You know, mercy and grace is the only reason we can come to God and worship him. One of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, said this, we should all be willing to work for the Lord. That's right, isn't it? The new rotors are coming out. But it is a matter of grace on God's part that we can do anything for him. Tozer goes on to say, I'm of the opinion that we should not be concerned about working for God until we have learned the meaning and delight of worshipping him. In another place he says that work that is inspired by worship has eternity in it. Now that doesn't mean that you don't help put the chairs away because you, you're not worshipping God properly so it won't mean anything. Just get on with it. But what I'm saying is this, that our service and what we do for God should come out of a heart of love and worship for him. So that what we do, whether we're serving tea or welcoming at the door and everything that goes on in between in this building, it's a heart of worship that does it. Because we are devoted to him. <coughs> so... Worship is more than singing a song. In fact, there's a song that we used to sing. Uh, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. Uh, it goes on about something. I give you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have desired. You work much deeper within, and, and so on. Right? Uh, my... my Singing is about as good as my dancing. No, it's better than my dancing, but I can't remember the words. Transforming our lives through worship. First of all, transforming worship really is not about a moment. It's about a walk. God designed us to worship him. It's within us to worship. You know, God designed fish to swim. You can't tell a fish not to swim because it's what it is. It's how it's built. And there is something in the heart of man and there's something that, that actually does show the difference between us and the animal kingdom in that we have a heart that reaches to God. There is something in human nature, in humanity, the fact that we are a spiritual being that was formed by God that has a desire to worship. Animals don't have that. It's something there. You know, at the beginning of creation, the Bible tells us that God walked with man and woman in the garden. He walked with them. He talked with them. He had a rich relationship with them. And I believe that shows the true pattern of what God wants us to experience in our worship. Okay? But we've limited it to an act. 
Sin changed it from being a walk into an event. So I'm living my life, but then I'm going to go to church and I'm going to worship. No, no, no. As we walk with God day by day, minute by minute, God wants us to walk in worship to him so that when we come together, we can express our worship as we praise him and as we sing, but the worship we do is a walk, not an event. You know, we talk about religious worship, and there's all sorts of weird things that people do when they worship, isn't there? They go to funny buildings, they go to altars, they do this, they do that. Uh, Muslims, they, they worship and they pray and have to face Mecca, and they all bow down together, and they all do that, and Christians are just the same. They do different things, and they think that that's it. We tick a box, I've worshipped God. No, there's more to it than that. It's a walk. It's a journey. It's something that God wants us to experience. There were people in the Old Testament who had a walk with God. Abraham was one of them. It's amazing, isn't it? Abraham, I think it was called God's friend. Abraham heard God's voice and invested his life in serving God. He was a man who lived to worship. I was sharing with our life group the other day a little bit um, that it says in, uh, in Hebrews about Abraham, it says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Abraham was 100 years old. And when he was 100 years old, finally God gave him a son. He would promised him a son for 100 years. Well, not quite 100 years, because when he was a kid, he didn't care. But all through his life, up to the age of 100, he'd been promised a son. And then suddenly, it happened. Isaac was born. He'd walked with God and worshipped God. And then God said to him, right, now what you've got to do, you've got to go up on a mountain, you've got to take your son Isaac, you've got to make a bonfire, you've got to put on an altar there, and you've got to kill him and burn him and sacrifice him to me. But, but, but God, he's the fulfilment of the promise. And so God would say to him, well, who do you worship? Who has the priority? Is it the promise that I've given you, or is it me who has given you the promise? That is big, heavy stuff. Now, I don't expect you to do this in 2018 in England. But he took his son to the mountain. He tied him up on the altar. He got the knife and was going to kill him. And God said, stop. You see, God never intended him to kill his son. What he intended him to do was to show that he worshipped God more than his son. And he was willing to lay down the life of his son for God. Do you know God was willing to lay down the life of his son for us? What a wonderful parallel. What a picture. You know, we often say, don't we, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. Don't, how many of us have, have experienced God's provision? Yeah. Now, now the, the word, the name given to God for the provider is Jehovah Jireh. And where that's mentioned is this, that when Abraham was just about to kill his son, God said, stop. Abraham looked over there, and there was a goat or a whatever with its horns stuck in a bush. That was a bad day for the goat, wasn't it, really? And God said, don't kill your son. Kill that, because that is the sacrifice I want from you now. And Abraham Thank God for sparing his son and providing that sacrifice. And he said, Jehovah Jireh, 
the Lord is my provider. I think it's quite significant that God proved himself to be the provider when Abraham worshipped his father so much that he was willing to give his son. He was willing to pay a price. And when that price was paid, God provided, because it was a price he couldn't afford, really, but he was willing to not afford it and pay it. That's quite heavy, really, isn't it? But that's the way it is. If we don't step out and worship God and trust him, he doesn't actually need to provide anything, does he? Yeah. If you pray for an umbrella and never go out when it's raining, he's not going to give you one. Do you know what I mean? Enoch, a great, great name. Enoch was a man, it says that he walked with God. And one day he was walking so close with God, he just took off and went. He didn't die. There's no trace of him dying in the Bible. He just took him. He walked with God. He worshipped God. He walked with him. It was a walk. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God, it says in Genesis 6. Moses, he went on a huge walk. He walked all the way from Egypt for 40 years to the desert, so he led the people to the promised land. He worshipped God all that time. And he went on this walk, and he led millions of people through a desert. And then Samuel and David... And all these people that you can read about in the Bible, they had a walk with God. They were people after God's heart and they worshipped by their lives. All right, David sang songs and he was a, a, a harpist and a, <coughs> you know, a, a praiser and a musician. But that was just the expression of the real life of worship he had. That God said of him, Dave, you got it wrong. Dave, I wonder if God ever called him Dave. Dave, you got it wrong sometimes, but you're a man. After my heart. You know, despite the experience of these people who had a walk, these individuals, worship has, in many experiences, become an event. And it's become a casualty, if you like, of, of the decompartmentalization of our lives. This is my home life. This is my work life. This is my social life. And this is my worship time at church. No. We don't fit that bit into all this bit round here. We fit all this into my worship for God because that is my life. It's a walk. It's a walk. It transforms us. People are very fickle, aren't they? Um, Judith pointed out, she knew what I was roughly what I was speaking on today, and she just said, uh, you know, gave me a verse in Isaiah, and it says this, and let's not be like these people, shall we, that Isaiah was talking about. These people come near me with their mouth, honour me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. That's no good. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Tick a box. Been to church. This is my God bit for the week. No, it's not what it's about. You haven't got a God bit. You haven't got a God bit. What's your God bit, for goodness sake? Your God bit is done not there. It's your life. Where's your life bit? No, it's nothing. It's, you haven't got a life. It's what we are. Because Jesus gave his all for us in worship to the Father. Not my will be done, Lord, but yours. So therefore, we say, not my will be done, but yours. Living sacrifices, because that is our reasonable, our appropriate worship. It's a walk. 
It's a walk. People are fickle, aren't they? We come up to Easter, and there was, uh, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, they all shouted, Hosanna! Hosanna! They put palm leaves there, and he, he came in on a donkey, they shouted, Hosanna! And they were worshipping, and they were giving him, giving it big with Jesus, you know. We're having a great praise party here today, because Jesus is coming into town. He's going to come and kick the Romans out, or whatever misconception they had about what he was coming to do. And they were singing, Hosanna! 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 Do you know, I knew a girl once called Susanna. And she had a sister called Kirsty, and Kirsty complained about, we never sing about me. It's always Susanna. No, it's Hosanna. And then a few days later, they were shouting something else, crucify him. Probably some of the same people. Sweet water and bitter water from the same fountain. It shouldn't be, should it? Yeah? Yeah? But Jesus brought back worship to a walk again, a lifestyle and not a song. This is the message we've heard from him. It says in 1 John, and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and don't live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We walk with him as an act of worship. He's there all the time. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to be with you. You are able, I am able to walk under an open heaven, come directly to the Father through Jesus and live a life of worship. That's what it's about, worship. And you see, transforming worship is a walk, but it also motivates us. It changes the way we do things. Do you know, I'm, I'm so glad that we've taken up our offering before I say this. Because it might sound like a bit of a leaning on you to get your checkbook out. No, not at all. But our priorities, our giving, our giving and our service are all based on our relationship with and our worship to Jesus. Simple as that. We don't come down and say, you must do this, you must do that. It's a true story. One church I heard of wanted to, um, they needed to raise a certain amount of money. They bolted the doors and said, no one's leaving until we've raised it. (laughs) It's appalling, isn't it? Isn't that awful? But it's true. It's true. We don't want you to give out of compulsion, except the compulsion of the Holy Spirit, who says, give this month's wages to the kingdom. Whatever. I don't care. Did they raise the money? They didn't deserve to, did they? They're probably still there now, actually. <laughs> all these people have gone missing, and they're, 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 probably, they're probably sitting there skeletons in these, because they, they all died, and they never got out. You know, they never, they never survived. I don't know if they got it or, or not. <laughs> but if you act like that, you don't deserve to be a flipping church, do you? That is a travesty. It's a travesty. Do you know what? Do you know what? If... if, if if, if you give somebody 
Oh, it's oh, that thing in Proverbs, isn't it? You know, don't eat the food of a stingy man. Because he'll, he'll, he will be, he'll be kind of resenting every mouthful that you take. Oh, do have some more. Oh, thank you very much. And he's looking. Don't be tight-fisted. Do not be tight-fisted. Do not be like that with God because God is never tight-fisted with you. I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed myself this morning. <laughs> it transforms our values, and it shows what we value. What do we really, 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 really value? What would you run out of the house with if it was burning down? The dog? Definitely the dog. You can run as well. You, you do. <laughs> That's a given. Yeah, I think, I think I'd want to take my binoculars. Yeah, and all my bird records. No. I would. But seriously, what we value, what we value, we absorb the values of it. Do you know, if we value and worship God, we'll become more like him. It's true. You become like what you worship. The Bible talks about idol, idols, right? And um, idols can be all sorts of things. But it's talking about statues that people bow down and worship. And, and it says that they've got mouths, but they can't say anything. They've got eyes, but they can't see anything. They've got ears, they can't hear anything. You carve an idol out of a bit of wood. And with one bit, the bit that you've carved, you worship. And the bit that you got rid of, you burn it in the fire and warm your hands. And it says they're, they're useless, they're no good. And those who worship them will be like them. They'll have ears, but they can't hear. They'll have eyes, but they can't see. Noses, they can't smell. Mouths, they can't speak. Because it's death that they're worshipping. But if we worship the Lord, I tell you something, his values, his life, his motivation, his character will be absorbed into us and we will be more like him. What did they say when the disciples were brought before the religious leaders? They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Because Jesus was all over them, even though he'd gone. The Spirit of God was upon them because they lived and worshipped him. You know, the greatest commandment that Jesus told the people who'd asked him what it was, he said this, the greatest commandment is this in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. All, all, all. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because you can't actually love God without loving people. Can't. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't learn to swim without getting wet. Really. That reading we did about Mary. Do you remember what she did? She got that perfume. And she smashed the box. She poured the whole lot out on his feet. What a total waste of money. No. What a total, wonderful act of worship. See, Judas didn't care about the poor. Oh, you could sell that and sell, sell that and get the money and help to feed the poor. Lion hound. You can sell that and I could have, I can get my 10%. I can get me 
whatever percent you had, you know, I can use that to betray Jesus with. 40 pieces of silver. What's that? I've got more than that. From this. No, he, he, he didn't care. And you know, Satan knows the value of worship. He does. In Matthew 4, the devil took Jesus to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He says, I'll give you this if you bow down and worship me. Now, he'd previously said, if, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you, if, you know, you can turn these loaves into, uh, stones into bread, okay? If you jump off the roof here, God will catch you. But then he got round to what he really wanted. He says, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you this. What Satan wants more than anything else is people to worship him to live their lives for him, to walk daily with him, to behave like him. Do you know what the devil's native language is? Lying. It says, in the Bible, it says when, when he lies, he speaks his native language. So when, it says that. Yeah, it does say that. Honest. In my Bible, it says it. But Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Because God wants us to be like him. You know, worship motivates us and it's an investment. The thing is, we can worship things in a subtle way more than we worship God. Some relationships are far more important to us than they should be because we worship that relationship more than we worship God. Success. You do anything to be successful. Do you know what real success is? Success isn't having the most senior position or the biggest car or the biggest... No, success is actually knowing and serving God's purposes for your life. And he'll bless you. As you do that, I, I had a real run-in once with this person who, oh, it was, it was, look, education's great, isn't it? It's important. It really is important. And there's not an, an atom inside of me that doesn't want kids to be educated. But sometimes people, even Christians, will do whatever it takes to get their kids to do this, that and this so that they get the best exams and da 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 and inadvertently their spiritual lives and relationships pay a price education is great but there's something more important than education I would rather have my kids have a living relationship and worshipping Jesus than having 10 degrees from Oxford. Is that a sacrilege? It's right, isn't it? Because, yeah. Money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Because we worship it. People do this, that and everything for money. <laughs> I'm a bit naughty here as well because there's Devon you'd be amazed how many Christians get called to Devon Devon it's the promised land 
What's wrong with Scunthorpe? Is God calling you there? <laughs> you know, do you get what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong. If you're going to come to me and say one day, you know, God's called me to Devon, great. I can't tell him that now because, oh dear, he'll think I'm just... What I'm saying is this. His will is what's the most... You know, I, I, Marina, I am thrilled to bits that you have get in this place. This lady could have moved away dozens of times to family, but you know that you belong here. And so because she belongs here... You're not going to Devon. No, you're not going to Devon. She belongs here, and so do I. You know, we're, do you know what? We've done something really, really silly. We've booked a camper van for two nights in the New Forest, starting tonight. <laughs> yeah. We must, it seemed a good idea at the time, since it's March and it's spring. We have got an electric hookup, so there will be electricity and a little blow heater that we've got. But we'll be huddling in, you know, look on Mandy's face, saying, is he rather you than me, mate? <laughs> Do you know, I feel called to the New Forest a lot of times. Not today particularly, but a lot of times I do. But it's not where I belong. We belong here. <clears throat> okay. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So transform, transforming worship is a walk. It motivates us. It gives us new values. But it also leads us and gives us a new perspective. Right? We often say, don't we, magnify in the Lord. See ya. Bless you. By the way, Alison's not got a problem. She has to go and see her mum. Bless your heart. And Derek, Derek didn't have a problem when he left earlier. He's coming back. I think the dancing might have been a bit much for him, but he is coming back. I know he was going to leave. You've got to go as well. Come on, let's, let's just... Right, off you go, everybody. Go on. I know. Are you, oh, good. But he changes our perspective. You know, we magnify God when we worship him. What does magnify mean? To make bigger. Now, we can't make God bigger than he is. But what we can do is when we, from our perspective, magnify him, we make him bigger in a situation in which we find ourselves because the situation looks bigger than he is. So worship magnifies him. God diminishes the problems and puts them in their proper place. Oh, dear. We've been, oh, man, we've been talking about finance and budgets. driving me mad. I so honor the people who do the figures. But like I said to them, do you know what? You have to look at those figures. And do you know what you're looking at? You're looking at loaves and fish. Yeah, they're the loaves and fish. And you need to know what loaves of fish we got. But then, think, oh, that's the loaves of fish. What are we going to feed with that? Oh, 5,000. See? Thankfully, you've got people of faith who play around with the loaves and fish and the figures. But God in it is bigger than the resources. Everything is smaller than God. David looked at God. The Israelite army looked at Goliath. That's why David won. You see, it says there that uh, if we are transformed by renewing of our mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, 
Worshippers take God's presence and apply it. Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 were walking. They were walking to the temple, the Jewish temple, to pray. But as they were walking, they came across a man who couldn't walk, who asked them for money, and he said, give me some money, please. And Peter said, we haven't got any money, but what we've got, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. They were not just walking somewhere. They were walking with the power of the Holy Spirit. They were walking, worshipping and living for God. And when the opportunity came up, suddenly God said, right, now do that. They knew what God's will was for that man there and then. They got hold of him and he stood up. Do you know, if you walk with God in worship, you will know what his will is. People say, but I don't know what God's will is. Well, first of all, his will is do what you know to be right. Stop fighting him. Stop, I want to do this, but what's your will, Lord? Stop doing that. Yeah, but what is your will? Anyone have that conversation? Because I jolly well have. Yeah, absolutely. I want to do this. So what's your will for me, Lord? Well, I'm going to tell you what my next bit of will is when you've sorted that bit of will out first. Because why am I asking you to do it? Because you worship me, not what you're doing. I've finished now. Let your lives worship and serve God. When I was at uh, college training for the ministry, a chap called Paul Newbery, he's died since, but he was a great fella, thought a lot of him. And he, he used to lecture us on various subjects, and he said this, I'm going to set you some work today, and I want you to do this. He said, but I'm not going to ask you to hand it in. This is for you. Now, every schoolboy in the land would just jump with joy at that, wouldn't they? I'm going to give you some homework. You've got to do it, but I don't want to see it. All right, yes, sir. Okay, sir. But actually, I was there because God's call was on my life. And this is what, this is the killer blow. He says, only you. He says, I'm not going to see it, but whether you do it or not, will say something about you. I did it. Because if I can't be faithful in doing something that God alone sees, then he can't trust me to be faithful and worship him in the bigger things of life. So we worship him. Living to make great things happen. It's why we're here. Let's do it as a people who worship and allow him to transform our lives. Father, we thank you that you have given your all to us. Thank you, Lord, that when Jesus came to this world, he set us an example of worship and devotion and sacrifice and service. And Lord, in our lives, will you please help us in our motivations, in our values, in our actions, in our lives, to walk in worship with you, in Jesus' name, amen.